People from the heartland of America and the gateway to the West, good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation, around the world. I'm George Norrie. Welcome to Coast to Coast AM. Next hour, Secret Societies, How They Control the Course of History with Alan Watt. Get ready for this. That one is going to be one heck of a show tonight. You never know about conspiracies, and you never know about secret societies. So that's why in a moment, you will get to hear from Alan Watt, who has spent many years investigating these groups. What do they mean? What do they do? Stick around on Coast to Coast and find out. I'm George Norrie, and I'll be back in just a moment. From somewhere deep below the earth, this is Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie on Premier Radio Networks. Well, many, many topics fascinate all of us here on Coast to Coast. The unusual, the paranormal, the mysteries, the ghosts, you name it, UFOs, Bigfoot, creatures, but also secret societies ranks way up there. In a moment, Alan Watt on secret societies on Coast to Coast AM. Alan Watt has always questioned standard versions of history, delved into ancient civilizations and the occult groups which managed them. Alan has come forward to share his knowledge, beginning with the Sweet Liberty radio program on International Shortwave. Now, this shortwave broadcast ended late in 2005. He continues on the First Amendment Internet Radio every Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, having a deep understanding of mass mind control being used on the general public. His original intention was to establish contact with various individuals following the broadcast by a one-on-one -on -one telephone conversation containing a technique to bring the person up into awareness. And the hundreds of hours have been spent in this manner teaching people in various countries, some of whom have used the information and published much of it with rather flamboyant spins. First-time guest on Coast to Coast AM, Alan Watt. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm fine, and it's a pleasure to be on. Good. Likewise. Tell me a little bit about this. I, I guess we can't call it an experiment, but uh, tell me how this worked, this one-on-one -on -one telephone conversation technique. Well, I realized um, by listening to many radio shows uh, that people were stuck in different levels of understanding of awareness into what was happening in their own lives and, and, and the life around them and, and were totally oblivious really of the major plans underfoot to completely alter their way of living. Um, and in fact, uh, a, a structure was being put into place uh, to bring out an entirely new way of living. That really is the agenda. And uh, I thought I should get involved, and, and I looked around at all the airwaves, and I, I tuned into shortwave, which has a good coverage. Sometimes it's international, and um, got in touch with uh, Jackie Petru on the Sweet Liberty broadcast, and eventually came on as a guest initially to fill in uh, on ancient history, uh, the secret societies, which are recorded in history. It's not so much a conspiracy when you when you realise the they're actually um, authentically recorded and the odd thing is their agenda from the most ancient times right up to the present has never altered uh, we've lived through part of it ourselves we're living through the final part of the end of this phase before the beginning of the next it's, Alan, it's a never-ending story 
I think you're 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 absolutely right. It has not altered over all these hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Uh, they have uh, directed their intent, and I guess they've just had it carried on by their offspring. How did it work? How did it carry through? We can find really um, ancient Egypt kept such a massive documentation on. Um, the techniques of controlling the people. Uh, priesthoods actually specialized in creation of religions for the lower classes, you might say. And, um, and the pharaoh, of course, uh, is recorded. He was taught these techniques from, from a child. And um, uh, the priests in those days were, were truly specialists in different areas, even going as far back as Sumer. We can see that the, the priests there not only control different areas of religion and types of religion, one for the elite and a separate one for the public, um, and they also controlled all the legalities. There were lawyers, lawyer priests, um, who dealt with real estate and all finances, uh, imports and exports from the country, uh, with trade going all the way to India, 5000 BC. So, so these priests were very specialized. And the, the amazing thing is to find that... Uh, Pretty well everything that we have today in this system of commerce, and that's the key to it, is the term civilization. That's the beginning of this particular system, which is ancient, a commercial type system of control using money in different forms. Um, in the beginning, they, they actually wrote about their agenda, and they camouflaged it under uh, exoteric guises of religion. When you understand the esoteric meanings of religion, you understand the goal, and uh, you, you realize that they've almost accomplished it. Alan, this series of protests in support of illegal immigrants in the United States that has been going on now for a couple weeks yeah. seems to be so organized, it's absolutely stunning. Uh, one would never expect this. Um, do you believe that this could be the work of the secret societies, the Illuminati, call them what, what they may be? Uh, there's no doubt. Uh, there's no doubt at all. Um, the Illuminati under Weishaupt, and he was only one branch that popped its head up in time. Um, that they'd always been around. You, you can find them in the Oxford Dictionary from the 12th centuries onward. Um, but Adam Weishaupt's particular group uh, wanted to create a citizen of the world. That's the first time that term was used. Uh, Mr. Rockefeller, who's one of the big players in this movement, calls himself a citizen of the world and gives uh, um, uh, titles to high members of the society. Uh, I actually have videotape of him awarding these uh, citizenship of the world awards to, to certain people. So, so, yeah, Adam Weishaupt certainly had a big part to play in this, but he was not the originator of the plan. What, what's their goal, then, with, let's say, again, supporting these protests? Is it to topple the United States? Is it to split it up? Is it to create a one-world government? I mean, what are they trying to do? What do they want? They want... Um, Jack Zatali wrote about this, and there's a very good book that he wrote. It's called uh, Millennium, published in 1990, and it's subtitled uh, Winners and Losers in the Coming New World Order. Now, Jack Zatali was the... Was the uh, he was the Kissinger of Europe. He spearheaded the uni unification of Europe from France and he advised the various presidents of France and then he went to work at the United Nations 
And in that book, he gives a scenario of America with the borders coming down towards the end of the millennium into the new. That's when it was scheduled to happen, the move, 2001. And um, he said that initially the people will be upset because vast hordes of people will come from Latin America mm -hmm. and come in through the south causing mayhem, uh, just like the Huns attacking Rome. But eventually America would end up being, the Southern America would be a, end up being a Spanish-speaking people. And he said, when America finishes its work, which is to police the world, bring democracy to the Middle East, um, then uh, its uh, commerce would collapse through debt. And the next boat people would leave America looking for work abroad. That's amazing. And it all seems to be happening. Oh, it's happening right on cue. Uh, one thing I found about these fellows, the big players like Kissinger and so on, and Jack Zatali, uh, they come from the high-level meetings with the Bilderbergers, etc. And whenever they write something about a plan or agenda, uh, they never alter it. They follow it through. You know, I, Alan, I'm, I'm in support of legal immigration, controlled immigration, where we have a certain quota, we allow them into the country, let them prosper, let them have the American way. Well, my, my opposition is with the illegal immigration. I mean, you can't have a country where people just enter it in droves illegally. It just, you just can't do that, and people don't seem to understand it. Those who support legal immigration think that there are no walls, that you can just come and go as you please. Was this by design in that uh, past administra administrations? Nobody has done anything from this current administration on back mm -hmm. to stop these illegal immigrants. I mean, were they part of the plan? Absolutely, they're part of the plan. Um, under the free trade negotiations, which were carried on in the late 1980s into the early 90s, prior to the NAFTA, um, uh, they discussed the, the, the eventual taking down of the borders between Canada, the U.S., uh, and Mexico. And, uh, and in the go-ahead at that time, it was decided would begin um, and be signed into law in 2005. Now, in 2005, when the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation in Canada, uh, when, when Mr. Bush, uh, Mr. Martin, and Fox met at Waco, Texas, they did sign Fortress America. And uh, Tom Clark from CTV asked them, is this the beginning of a European Union type deal? And uh, with when the borders come down, and Mr. Cretti, Mr. Martin said, uh, it's not quite the, the, the big bang. We have five more meetings to go before it's completed. In other words, it is the, the, the same agenda as the European Union, uh, exactly. Yeah. So letting the millions of illegal immigrants into the United States was done on purpose, basically. Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, this was written about in the 1840s by Karl Marx. Karl, Karl Marx? Marx? In, yeah, Karl Marx wrote it in Das Kapital. And in there he said, um, the world will comprise of three trading blocks, a united Europe, a united Americas, and a Pacific Rim uh, conglomerate under a supreme world government. And that national uh, nationalism or and sovereignty would cease to exist, and each each block would have a provincial government instead of a national one, and that was discussed in the free trade negotiations in the 1980s, where it was decided that they actually toyed with the idea of creating Montreal to be the ca the new capital of the Americas. Of the Americas, am I naive, Alan, or 
you know, in that when I I think about the patriotism and I think every country should be autonomous and, you know, the the way of the past is the way it should be. Am I naive? I mean, should I just step aside and let progress take hold, let this happen the way it's going to happen, and let these societies, let the Illuminati push their plan through? Uh, is it a good thing for everybody or, or is it not? It's not, especially when you realize the, 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 the more of the agenda, uh, the world that they're bringing into being is, uh, I mean, you've heard of family planning. Uh, this is world planning on the same type of scale. Um, they want to cut back the population massively and run the world in a scientific uh, uh, dictatorship, as Aldo Huxley called it. Um, where people will be born only if there's a function for them to serve the system and that if there's too many people they must be called back um, ultimately under agenda 21 uh, that came out of the United Nations uh, they say that they want to be the arbiters of who of distributing the, the, wor the, foods wor uh, the world's food to, to different countries and those countries who go over the limit of population will be denied extra food which will encourage them to, to kill back or call back the population. Oh, my God. You know, we, we, you're absolutely right. The word call is what so many farmers use in the farm industry yeah. when they need to change their flock. And that's, that's right. the way they look at us, as they, flock. They, they do. They? They, they honestly do. It's, it's bone-chilling when you read their own books, um, the Brzezinski books, uh, the Kissinger books, um, even the one that Prince uh, uh, Philip brought out, and he, of course, is the head of the Audubon Wildlife Society, another front group um, for this agenda. And he, in his book called If I Were an Animal, he said, I'd like to come back as a virus, and a killer virus, and destroy yeah. the population of the humans. You know, you hear things like that, and you think, oh, come on, these are urban legends. Uh -huh. This guy really didn't say this. But then you hear it enough, Alan, and then you hear people like you, who I think are just tremendously brilliant in your field, uh, there's got to be a basis for it. I believe the guy said that. It's in his book. Uh, you can get his book, and it's right there. Ah, pull it out. And you're right about Kissinger, too. He would love to see the world's population reduced. Mm -hmm. Who died and made him God? Yeah, well, that's just it. These people in their own inner religion believe that they are gods. And that's one of the, 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 the amazing things from the ancient times to modern in the high esoteric religion. They truly believe they have attained godhood. Now, David Icke will go farther by saying that a lot of the people in power are based on royalty of family bloodlines that have occurred for thousands of years. Will you go that far? I, I would go as far as to say that there are definitely um, uh, genetic ties in families. When you look at the tremendous work of monarchies and the priesthoods behind them, to match up uh, specific wives and husbands for them down through the ages, that is very important for them, not just the, the, the royalty, but the other nobility too. Um, tremendous work in matching them up. Um, and it's all based on their, their ancient religion, of course. Uh, it's, it's for the reasons. You know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses in life, Alan. One of the things that I can do well, I mean, I'm not very good at electrical things and stuff like that. I'd probably blow myself up. But one of the things that I do well is I do have a strong intuitive sense about things. And, I, and, and part of that intuitiveness is telling me 
Now, what we're talking about tonight is rapidly approaching. We're in it, but it's been, it is moving along at a tremendous speed. What I don't know is why. Why has it jump-started so quickly? What has kicked this thing into high gear? It's almost as if these people, these power brokers, are desperate to get this done very, very soon, and I don't understand why. Well, I do know that uh, they said many, many years ago that 2001 is the kickoff time. And, of course, we, we can find that uh, confirmed in the little uh, clique at the top of the, the Bush administration and behind the Bush administration, uh, which put forth the, the policy for a new American century. Yes. And they published their findings back in 92 and republished them in 98. And in there, they said they would have to attack uh, the Middle East, beginning with Afghanistan, which they did, um, followed by Iraq, followed by Iran, then Syria. Now, in 1998, um, we find Zygmunt Brzezinski brought out his book called The Grand Chessboard. And being a member of the same group, he reiterated those same targets in the same order. And he said, we, we shall need something on a Pearl Harbor event on the scale of that event to motivate the American people behind us. So here they have all this massive plan waiting to go, the countries to invade, and it's almost like uh, hoping you'd win the lotto ticket in, in 2001. <laughs> and, yeah. and sure enough, the very, the very lotto ticket comes up uh, as an attack on the scale of Pearl Harbor occurs and, and it motivates the American people behind them. Uh, that's planning. That's very good planning. To a point. But now, most of the Americans are not behind them. Um, yeah. As you can tell by polls and attitudes. Yeah. And I, t I tend to look at attitudes more than polls, Alan. All you have to do is talk to people, as I do every night, and you can determine that there's something amiss here. Yeah. The, the plan may be working for them, but it's not working for capturing the masses. What's yeah, going yeah. to happen when these two butt heads? Well, uh, the day after 9-11 occurred, and 9-11, of course, is a high esoteric uh, number. Um, as you, right. you might know, it's also chapter 9, verse 11 of Revelations, which is just a plan. It's a business plan. And uh, that's where the, 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 the pit the beast is, is released from the pit, you see, to start the war. But... Uh, what they're doing now is uh, the spring is like crazy from the air. It's being stepped up now. And the day after 9-11, uh, it was that Rumsfeld was on television asking how he coped with another major disaster on a larger scale on another city. And he said, we have, uh, we have lots of aerosolized Prozac and Valium, which can be sprayed from aircraft over any large area to subdue the people and prevent uh, panic. And I thought, my God, you know, uh, they're actually doing it. Only they're doing it all over the country. So we're being drugged into a form of uh, couldn't care less. Most people couldn't care less what's happening. Well, people have been seeing chemtrails for years now. Yes, yep, they've been really dozing us all. They're stepping it up. Uh, there's new types involved now too. And so partly we're being drugged as we go through this massive change that's coming, we're seeing things happen that never happened even during the Cold War uh, with ID cards for everyone, uh, etc. But that really is a cover for, for the borderless world. 
They want to know who's going where, and these ID cards are trackable by satellite. We'll be back, Alan. We're going to talk about all these subjects with you tonight on Coast to Coast AM. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. Our guest tonight is Alan Watt. Alan's website, of course, is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, linked up at CoastToCoastAM.com, and you can read all about his works as well. Alan, what about Russia, China? Where do they stand in all this? They seem to be adversaries to what would be a globalist plan to do this. Uh, well, actually, the ones who set up uh, uh, Russia, Soviet system, and uh, the ex-Soviet system, and China, were the same big boys in, in uh, the West and were from the beginning. Uh, this is a long-term plan. Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell, was set out. From, uh, he was actually chartered to go out to, to China in the early 1900s and prepare the way for communism. This man is related to the British royalty, and yet he describes this in his own memoirs, his own books. Or do we have to really be concerned, then, about a possible war with China or Russia, or is that all rhetoric? It's all rhetoric. You see, the, the idea of control is always to have an enemy uh, so that your government can, can um, uh, take extreme measures and tax you more at home, keep you uh, Spend more scared. Money. Yes, keep you scared, because when you're scared, uh, you ask fewer questions, and, and the government can go much further. I think uh, Professor Carl Quigley... Uh, who really was a big player in a lot of things, um, said in his own book, uh, Tragedy and Hope, that war is very helpful for the agenda and for the establishment because you can do more on a social change in five years of war than 50 years of peace. Well, you know, and I always asked myself, Alan, I said, why would China go to war with the United States? Mm -hmm. We're their biggest customer. And I know just in the world of business, you never do anything to your biggest customer. You keep them happy. You keep them happy. And, and also, uh, um, if you go back into the books the, of uh, the Council on Foreign Relations, and I have their books going back to the 1930s, and the one in 1937 held in Melbourne, Australia, um, that's also the Royal Institute of International Affairs. That's the British uh, branch. Uh, the American branch is the CFR. They discussed uh, making China after after the coming war, World War II, uh, the sole manufacturer for the for the planet, and they said that America would lead the push to, to democratize the rest of the world, meaning the Middle East. And once this job was done, they would sink be over because of the burden of the cost, and then China would take over as the policeman of the world. And that's the, the official books of the Council on Foreign Relations. Now, the, the, the people who are running our government today, Alan, I think, maybe it's what we've always suspected, and that merely is there's always been this higher shadow government. Aren't they concerned about the United States losing its stature in the world? Or do they care because they've got their billions, they've got their 14 houses, they don't care? It's all, all of that plus. Uh, these people themselves, once they're initiated into the higher orders of, of their societies, are internationalists. 
they become internationalists, and their brother ah. is their fellow elitist, no matter which country he lives in. They don't even think of it then. They don't think of them uh, themselves as Americans or that, those from beauty, England. That's the beauty of, of how they I get away see. with it, yeah. Okay, they, yeah, you're right then. They think of themselves as internationalists. Yep. They become part of the Federation. If, if one day we venture into space to the point where we find extraterrestrial life, and like the, and like Star Trek, it becomes a federation. That's what they believe they're from. They're not just from planet Earth anymore. They're part of this galactic group. That's right. Yeah, yeah. In their higher orders, they actually refer to themselves as masters of the universe, which I think is a bit premature. You write and talk about what you call mass mind control, specifically how it started in ancient times. Elaborate on that for us. In ancient times. Um uh, they understood humanity much better than Freud ever did. Uh, they, they'd studied uh, humanity for thousands of years. Uh, we know that Sumer even wasn't the first civilization. It was, uh, in fact, everything that Sumer did was taken from previous civilizations. We know that uh, Plato, when he talked, uh, he talked about his uh, predecessor, one of his ancestors, who, Solon, who went to Egypt uh, and found out about Atlantis. Um, the, the Egyptian priest said, well, you Greeks don't even know how old you are and how many ancient civilizations have risen to great heights and fallen and disappeared. So man is very, very old, and these techniques of studying human nature, uh, tribalism especially, uh, have been well understood and used against people down through the ages for war purposes. Do you think man at one point, Alan, was sophisticated enough where he had nuclear weapons, and I'm talking about thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of years ago. It, well, what's interesting uh, is to do with the, the legends of uh, the Hinduism, because they claim that that uh, it, it set times down as periods or ages, they call them, just for understandings, conception, and and they said that they had recorded at least five definite previous ages of man where he'd started off at the beginning and risen to heights and ended up with massive warfare and in the warfare described between these ages it was, it was between the elite who then called themselves gods using highly advanced sciences and even flying machines and they were zapping each other with different colored rays which could uh, burn you for instance if you had any iron on you at all, uh, much like microwave energy. So this stuff is described in, in the, 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 these ancient histories. Uh, if we go to the Druidic histories, um, they were recorded by Tacitus, the historian for Nero, and he claims that uh, the Druids said that there had been pro three previous ages that they'd recorded where their own elite had survived deep inside mountains while the, the earth was, uh, had fire passed through it, followed by water, a deluge. Um, it, we can find the same legends in ancient Greece, where they lived in Mount Parnassus. That's where the wealthy elite went for the same thing. It was fire followed by water. And it's interesting to see today with the harp technology being used uh, and knowing that Nikola Tesla stopped using that technology because he claimed they could superheat the atmosphere to such an extent it would explode, it would ignite and cause a, a, a fire around the world which would melt the, the caps 
causing flooding and, and then that would raise into the sky and cause clouds and you'd have rain and, and, and flooding, fire and water. Same thing again. So it's very possible this has been done before. Absolutely. I'm going to talk about some uh, groups and you tell me um, what you think of them in terms of their relationship to the higher order. Knights Templar. Yeah, the Knights Templar definitely were a priestly knighthood. They were priests, first of all, with all the vows of the priests. And they did mix and merge when in the Middle East with uh, uh, the Hashashin, they called them, where the word assassin comes from, and Hashish, because they used Hashish in their ceremonies. And they did merge with this ancient uh, group who uh, trained young orphans. This is the orphan story of Freemasonry. They trained orphans and brought them up into uh, with, uh, in luxury and told them that this was just uh, like heaven and that death was the same. They were given women whatever they wanted and then sent out into the world to become advisors to other uh, princes. And whenever told, they would just take out a dagger maybe 20 years down the road and, and assassinate whoever they were told to assassinate. And they had the Middle Eastern terror uh, for, for a long, long time. And, and the Knights Templars were part of that same uh, same group, really. They brought the same tactics back to Britain with them. They weren't all then just good guys? Uh, not in the least. Uh, they were a secret society, there's no doubt. They like to call themselves societies with secrets, the same as Freemasonry today. Uh, but they were priests first and foremost. Um, they disliked women. You'll find that in all of the high esoteric groups is this a tremendous disdain of the female uh, right down to, to the, the Rosicrucian uh, exploded when, it, when that came into to Britain with um, uh, Francis Bacon and a few others they had to put their wives behind them and leave them basically to join the higher uh, orders so, so yeah, the, the hatred of women um, is part of the tradition and part of the goal of creating the new type of human being to come. Do you think the Knights Templar ever found or hid the Ark of the Covenant? I don't think so in, in, in that respect. The Ark itself is, is nothing to do with people. People think it is. It's the Ark that the sun makes across the sky. That's what it was. Um, that's what it, it really was. The people in the Bible are, are all allegories for different things that happen within nature, including uh, the movements of the zodiac. Uh, the twelve tribes um, are simply the twelve constellations. Uh, Moses was the sun going through them. Uh, same with Jacob. Um, the same thing with Jesus. In fact, it's the same. It's the same story uh, given out for the exoteric uh, rendition for the people and the esoteric for the, the higher priesthoods. Now, you don't think that those individuals existed? They, they, were, they were all celestial? They were all celestial. It's always the, the eternal heavenly story. Uh, it pre-existed um, traditional Judaism by millennia. And, um, in fact, the story of Moses was basically taken from India, uh, recopied again. Moses is only the latter part of, of Ramos's. Moses means child in Egyptian. So he's a child of Ra, basically. And, uh, and the later, of course, with, with Jacob um, giving, uh, being, giving birth to the 12 tribes is the same thing. 
it's the, it's the twelve constellations, and and uh, Jacob becomes Israel, Isis, Rael, the hermaphroditic god, two and one. It's always the hermaphroditic god at the top of the esoteric groups. Interesting perspective. I want to come back to this a little bit later on, maybe next hour, Alan. We'll try to give it a little more in-depth talk. Okay, so that was the Knights Templar. What, what about the uh, Freemasons? Uh, I, and, and the reason why I bring that up is today's Freemasons, many of them are hardworking, dedicated men uh, who um, you know, are, are part of raising money for, for hospitals, for children. I, I, are we talking about two different kinds of Freemasonry groups here? In the lower orders, like Albert Pike, who was the Pope of Freemasonry, wrote in his own book, Morals and Dogma, the lower Masons are, are really the outer portico. They are like a, an outer wall. And he, and he said that they're no different than the profane. They think they know what they're involved in, but they don't really. And it, it really depends on who you are when you join and what your potential is in the outside world. If you have... Uh, the ability to uh, influence public opinion, for instance, uh, as a newspaper man or something, or even the owner of a small newspaper, you're tapped out of your lodge and brought into a brought to a side lodge, and then you shoot up the ladder, uh, and then you're taught the real agenda at at the fortieth degree. That's life begins at forty. That's what that means. I didn't. Well, so if I wanted to be a Freemason, and I'm not. They'd kind of push me up the ladder a little quicker just by the fact that I broadcast to so many people. Yes, I've had offers to get taken right up, actually, without the necessity of even... They've said that without the necessity of even taking all the different filials, etc., because of, of uh, what I know. Well, they've never approached me yet, Alan. Uh, maybe I'm not doing something right. I'm not sure. <laughs> It, it could be two ways. You might be doing something right and don't know it. Yeah, it, it, that's what I think I may be doing. Well, tell me, though, about this organization. What's its intent? What's, what does it want to do? Uh, Freemasonry made it quite plain in the writings of Albert Pike uh, that through revolution, and, and again, it's all solar. They use the solar terminology of the, the Earth revolving around the sun, revolution. Um, through revolution, uh, they will perfect man, bring him to a stage of perfection uh, in a new system, a scientifically organized system where the natural aristocracy, as uh, Jefferson called them, I mean, he was a member of the Illuminati, uh, will run the world basically in an orderly fashion. Um, that also means deciding on many people that they will need, etc., to, to work for them and there will be no excess population. Uh, the, the supposed haphazard way today of marrying your own, picking your own partner and marrying her will be gone. Uh, it will be a new eugenically type uh, run society. Uh, that's what it's all about. Well, they're planning that. I mean, like you had mentioned earlier, that uh, the, they, they, they want us implanted with chips. They want to be able to control us. They want to be able to follow us. And they're doing it now. And, uh, yes. some, and in some cases, some people think it's, uh, it's good to do this. And so they're rushing mm -hmm. to, to become part of this. Yeah, in 1998, on the CBC television in Canada, uh, on Wendy Mesler show, she, she actually talked about this ID card that was coming. This is before 9-11. Mm -hmm. And she talked to some of the high-ranking people in, in the various banking institutions, 
and the manufacturer of this particular card. Now, the card that the U.S. citizen is to get is the same as the one of the Canadians are uh, to get, and it's the same one that the British have, and the British have now introduced it. It's an active chip with your DNA in it, iris scan, a voice print is in there too, all your medical record records are there, your up-to-date inoculations, and it's trackable by the same towers that are up around all the cities for cell phones. That's the rush for, for this wireless internet and so on. They've already got the, the, the towers and these little uh, booster towers all through the cities. Is this being used as a driver's license as well, or just an ID card? It's to be used for your driving license as well. And also in Britain, they said it will become your sole bank card. Everything will be on that in the cashless society. You know, on the face of it, some of this sounds good. And let me, let me bring that up. Uh, I've lived in Michigan, Missouri, Min Minnesota, California. And, you know, in, in state to state, you know, depending on where your residency is, you get a driver's license based on your residency. Some states, you have to redo the test. You have to take another driver's test. Other states, they have reciprocity where you merely come in, bring your license, and it's done, and you change it. On the face of it, Alan, what's wrong with, if you, if you like to drive a car, what's wrong, and you move around, what's wrong with having a national driver's license? What it is, it's not just a national license, that's just it. It's, it's your whole ID, it's everything, it's you, including your DNA code. And, uh, and that will be shared with all the, the, the governmental institutions, with police um, uh, uh, bureaucracies, etc., and, and the, the ultimate goal is to bring us into uh, a cashless society because they want to track everything you earn and spend. And uh, eventually the system we have to go into is going to um, do away with, with uh, the system of money and way of living and how we earn it, in fact. The state ultimately is to get, be the sole arbiter of how much you earn. It will dole out so many credits per week. Lord Bertrand Russell wrote about this on the impact of science on society. He said it will be used as a form of social control, and those who are against the system or disobey orders, they'll find that their, their credits will not be in their bank account on the Monday morning. Um, that will be your punishment. You won't be able to buy food. Gee. You won't be able to rent. And, and you can't save up these credits. By the end of the week, they're all gone again, and you start off with the same number on Monday. Well, you know what? They, they are sort of dictating income to people now merely by the fact that so many people are being laid off uh, or displaced. Uh, you know, if you're 50 years old and you're forced to retire or you're displaced, you're going to have a heck of a time finding a job. Stay with us. Alan Watt, our guest. This is Coast to Coast AM. Alan, let's talk a little bit about these chemtrails and what you were saying earlier that uh, Prozac and other drugs might be uh, sprayed on us. Uh, one, there's no question something's going on with chemtrails. I have not heard specifically of the drugs. I've heard a lot about weather manipulation. So tell me a little bit about this uh, in, in some of the evidence that backs this up. Well, we, we find the, um, 
the father of the H-bomb was the first man to come forward with the idea of uh, heavily spraying the atmosphere uh, with uh, barium, uh, titanium and aluminum oxide to make it more uh, conductive to electromagnetic pulse which they could use from which you know what's called harp facilities which and there's over 56 of them worldwide um, through this they knew they could control the emotions of people it's the most easy, easiest thing to manipulate in fact or is the emotion um, there was a test done by the US government on Maine a covert test for um, over a period of years and they studied all the reports coming in of uh, domestic quarrels, uh, domestic animals which became aggressive, um, uh, suicides, etc., which went sky high at one point. And uh, so they've tested this stuff over different areas over the many years. Uh, however, uh, in the first reports from, I think it was Hellier, of the H-bomb, he said uh, it could also be coupled with, uh, with uh, polymers, Polymers are agents which, uh, these are the agents which create the rainbow effects in the sky when they're spraying heavily. And the polymers were designed to carry bacterium uh, or viruses down to the ground uh, for, for warfare purposes. Well, we are seeing the polymer being used. And uh, if you look at the heavy spraying on a sunny day, uh, the sky ends up being very mushy. And the blue tends to be a type of blue you'd see through a, a thin polythene sheet. And that's hmm. the polymers you're seeing. When the snow is going, and I've photographed it up here, um, as well as taking samples and having them analyzed, uh, you'll find that after four or five months of snow, when you get down to the last four inches, you see this, co this uh, um, cotton candy type um, uh, material, and that's the polymer in a frozen form it's about three or four inches thick when the snow first leaves and then when the sun hits it it breaks down into powder and stays on the ground for quite a while so this stuff is being used and uh, I haven't had the ability to test for bacterium or viruses but I have had it tested for the metals and, and sure enough it came up high with aluminum oxide and copper titanium and a few other trace uh, metals. Are they trying to dumb us down, Alan? Control us? What do they want to do with us? It's control. There's no doubt it's control. I have no doubt, too. Uh, I know that aluminum oxide, uh, that's what you find in the brains of people with Alzheimer's. And that came out in a British medical study first in 1973. So they've always known that aluminum oxide is very good if you want to have people lose their memory. Um, and of course, the coupled with the pulsations of harp which can be picked up on the shortwave radio they've been going strong for the last four years now non-stop on certain frequencies um, they can actually affect the moods of people they claim they can also send over a secondary impulse which will ride the back of the first and if they want to they could actually put thoughts in a person's head well, you know, there's uh, there's no doubt that uh, this entire package is uh, is aimed at getting all of us. Who concocted all this? Um, the scientists again. We can go back to H. G. Wells, uh, who was a front man for the British government. He belonged to the Secret Service. 
He was a propagandist for World War One. Old H.G. Wells was? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, yep. And he was one of the founders of the Fabian Society. Um, the Fabian Society pretended they were a left-wing organization. Um, but in fact, uh, if you read the writings of a co-founder, Bertrand Russell, uh, Lord Bertrand Russell, in the book by Ronald Clark, uh, the te uh, Russell tells you that the, the Webbs, Sidney and Beatrice Webb, uh, who were the main people behind the, the Fabian Society, uh, wanted a world system or, or government run by a super elite of technocrats and that the public would have no say whatsoever in the way their lives would be run. So so H.G. Wells was a big player. He himself was given um, uh, predictive programming. This, this was the idea from Tavistock Institute in London, um, which still runs the world today with mind control. Uh, they gave him uh, certain stories to write to incorporate certain elements or that they wanted to get through to people's heads and uh, he simply wrote the stories around those things and uh, that's why he could uh, write about the police of the air in, in shape of things to come that would gas the people below and force them to submit to world government and this third world war was to begin in Basra where the third world war had actually begun now Basra is in Iraq yes and uh, that's where the British troops went, and they still they still manage yet. So this is this is predictive programming, par excellence. And uh, he knew the agenda prior to World War Two. Alan, what do you think the agenda is with this avian flu scare, which I do not believe will be a pandemic unless somehow man screws it up and it gets out into the system. And already, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has announced that it's going to test the possibility of mutations and even create them mm -hmm. to me that's pretty darn dangerous yeah, well again the H.G. Wells uh, Lord Bertrand Russell uh, Aldo Huxley and all these predictive programmers that were, were given their agendas have all stated the same thing that the biggest problem the elite faced uh, and this is most this put more succinctly in the, the writings of Charles Galton Darwin the physicist and grandson of Charles Darwin in his book The Next uh, Million Years he said that uh, we are attempting mis uh, misguidedly to help the people maintain their health and it's increasing the population so we will have to bring out uh, specific diseases to help cull them off eventually in a way which the public would never suspect in other words to be done through laboratories and we are living in an age where there are tremendous, tremendous laboratories uh, dedicated to creating killer diseases. Uh, Henry Kissinger put the, the bill in in the 70s where he stated that the greatest threat to the nation was overpopulation. And, and, and a, a vast sum of money was put forward to find something which would destroy the immune system. And a few years later, out comes AIDS. So they write about it, they do it, uh, we see it manifesting, but because we're nice people and we wouldn't do that, we, we say, well, well, they couldn't really have meant it, even though the evidence is there that they did. Somebody sent me an instant message, Alan, that simply said, what's wrong with population control if it will make the planet better? How yeah. do you argue with that? Well, here's the key to it. Uh, Thomas Malthus, 
in the 1700s was um, an economist for the British East India Company. And he started the ball rolling with the, the scientifically controlled society and population control. And uh, he actually advocated um, methods of bringing the population down by putting housing schemes in, in streets for the poor over swamps, etc., where they, they would uh, sicken and die. Mosquitoes would get him and malaria and everything yeah, else. Yeah, all of that kind of stuff. A poor diet. He advocated mm, yeah. giving a poor diet. However, he, he gave out false statistics even then on the population of Britain because the first census wasn't taken till the year after his book came out. So he, he fudged the statistics to suit his theory. And they've done the same thing ever since. Now, in Britain, from the First World War onwards, there was a, a, a hue and cry from the elite about bringing the population down further. H.G. Wells said in his own book, he said, the first war hasn't killed enough of them. The great H.G. Wells. God. And, and, and so they, they had a big uh, movement to convince the public there were too many. And uh, they said they wanted an ideal family of two parents and, and 1.2 child, child per family. Now, the British complied with that. And Margaret Thatcher, when she was in power in the 1980s, uh, opened the door to India. And, and she said, the reason I have to bring them all in from India is that there's not enough people uh, having offspring in Britain to pay off the national debt. So what I'm saying is, when you follow their instructions, you won't win anyway. No, not, not at all. You see, so this is a con game. They want a world, um, a post-industrial, post-technological world of, of pristine beauty for themselves and the elite to, to, to roam around in. Uh, they don't need all the workers anymore, and they're hyping up this overpopulation thing way out of proportion. The only reason that North America seems to be uh, getting trouble is because all immigrants go to the major cities. And the doors have been open for years, actually, from uh, many countries, um, including ones from China. And they're flooding into the major uh, city centers, giving the appearance of overpopulation. Would you look uh, 10 years into your crystal ball and tell us around the year 2015, 2016, mm -hmm. what this planet will look like? Well, I know what they want it to look like. Um, the Rhodes Foundation has put out books on this. That was the foundation set up by Cecil Rhodes for world government based on the British system of democracy, uh, but really to be run by the super elite. And uh, they, they, they already, he already said the same thing, three trading blocks with, with uh, provincial governments subservient to a super government of the world and uh, a vastly reduced population they want community living areas for, for the public. They're calling them habitat areas at the United Nations. And the populations must be kept within strictly controlled limits within those habitat areas. China has been called the model state for the world because they already implement that system. And they mandatorily have abortions if, for any woman that has a, a second child. And that's the model state for the world by our wonderful United Nations. Remember the movie Soylent Green? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where they euthanized people when they got to a certain point. Yeah. Uh, well, they made them die peacefully. Mm -hmm. uh, but they needed them for food. 
Yeah. Do you see the the day where they will just basically euthanize people based on age? They'll say when you become yeah. sixty, mm -hmm. you're going to have to go. There's that's that's the law, and they come get you. I guess that's the first step towards it. The, the, uh, that's why they bring out every so often. Uh, some poor soul who's dying, uh, who advocates the government should should give him a doctor to kill him, and that power must never be given to the to, to government, never, because they will they want it, they want that power, and they will abuse it. The United Nations has defined a good citizen of the world as someone who is a good consumer dash uh, producer. When you retire, you're consuming, you're not producing. And so you become a useless eater. And will this happen? Will, them. Will, will it happen like that movie? And well, I'm not so sure about the eating of human wafers, but mm -hmm. what what will happen? Um, I think they, they, they're they're on the way to programming us to die at a certain age already uh, with inoculations. I have no doubt on that at all. Um, we know that uh, I have it on tape too, a videotape of Dr. Salk, who is the great hero with the polio vaccine. Sure. And on the tape, he said, yes, we, and the team knew, he said, that we had over um, 100 live monkey or simian viruses in every shot of polio. He said, we knew that the simian 40 virus would cause cancers and early deaths. But then he rationalized it by saying we thought the risk was worth it. So these guys have been uh, setting us up for, for a much earlier fall under the guise of helping us. And we should remember that the United Nations has a department, uh, the World Health Organization, Doctor Who, I call it. And uh, next door to it, in the same building, they have the Department of Population Control. And when the wolf is there with a syringe to help you, I think we better be on our guard. How many people do you think are in these groups? Uh, there are a few hundred uh, top groups that, that work on all this in specialized areas. We know that, for instance, the Bilderbergers, what they deal with primarily is the, 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 the trilateral world, the three-block world. That's their main function. Uh, the Club of Rome was set up primarily to do with the population reduction by all means possible, as Kissinger said himself, by all means possible. Um, other ones are, are dealing with the, the futurist think tanks. They have a few hundred futurist think tanks who come up with predictive programming, which they then give to certain authors. They've done this since the 1800s. The authors write the books. It puts the idea in our heads that, well, I guess this is inevitable. And when the real thing happens, we just go along with it because it's been programmed into us primarily through fiction. Uh, fiction has been the main way of creating predictive programming. And um, they familiarize you with an idea. The sensor part of your brain is down. And in a story with an emotional tack to it, you're actually programmed for something to come which you then think is inevitable when it actually happens. Well, that's a good point, because I do think it is inevitable. When we uh, come back after the break, uh, Alan, uh, in a few minutes, I, I want to talk with you about some specifics of what they're doing now, and what can we do to fight it, to combat it? Because so many people say, okay, we believe this is all happening. What can we do? And I'll tell you what else we'll do. We'll open up fast blasts. 
and we'll take some fast bus questions. In the next hour, we'll take phone calls as well. Tell me about the three books you've got out there. The three books are to do with um, the ancient societies, the, the mystic societies that have been behind a lot of this for the last few, few thousands of years, uh, never altering their agenda. It's not far-fetched at all their agenda into their final completion as to where they want to go with humanity. Um, I also go through the money system from ancient times to the present and how the ancient money lenders came from country to country, set up the system of debt, uh, forced the countries to, to hire standing armies which then used to, con to conquer the next country and, and go on from there. And how So this whole thing of civilization is money coupled with commerce and priesthoods from the very beginning. And it's a, it's a science in itself with a definite agenda towards a common goal. Does it bother you? Are you afraid of anything? No, not at all, because I've, I've realized this pretty well all of my life. I lived through the European Union. I traveled all over Europe. I was uh, up in the music business quite high. And um, I, I kept seeing uh, the prime ministers saying in newspapers we were over in Europe cementing ties, creating closer ties. And I thought, well, how close can we get without being united? And I was right. Uh, it was all done in covert secrecy. Uh, they set up the unification panels in secret in 1948. Uh, in 1999, they declassified that. And sure enough, in there it said that um, this agenda must be fulfilled and completed before the public are told the truth. Interesting. That's, that's now declassified information. All right, Alan, we'll stay with us. i tell you what we're going to do. We'll do Fast Blasts when we come back. We'll open up that. And if you have any questions for Alan Watt, I'll take them that way. At the top of the hour, we'll uh, take phone calls. 